Section nine of the Notebooks of Samuel Butler. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Notebooks of Samuel Butler, edited by Harry Festing Jones. Chapter seven. On the making of music, pictures, and books. Thought, and word. One. Thought pure and simple is as near to God as we can get. It is through this that we are linked with God. The highest thought is ineffable. It must be felt from one person to another, but cannot be articulated. All the most essential and thinking part of thought is done without words or consciousness. It is not to doubt and consciousness enter that words become possible the moment a thing is written or even can be written and reasoned about it has changed its nature by becoming tangible and hence finite and hence it will have an end in disintegration it has entered into death and yet till it can be thought about and realize it more or less definitely it has not entered into life both life and death are necessary factors of each other but our profoundest and most important convictions are unspeakable so it is with unwritten and undefinable codes of honor conventions art rules things that can be felt but not explained these are the most important unless we try to understand them or even to think about them the better two words are organized thoughts as living forms are organized actions how a thought can find embodiment in words is nearly though perhaps not quite as mysterious as how an action can find embodiment in form and appears to involve a somewhat analogous transformation and contradiction in terms there was a time when language was as rare an accomplishment as writing was in the days when it was first invented probably talking was originally confined to a few scholars as writing was in the middle ages and gradually became general even now speech is still growing poor folks cannot understand the talk of educated people perhaps reading and writing will indeed one day come by nature analogy points in this direction and though analogy is often misleading it is the least misleading thing we have three Communications between God and man must always be either above words or below them. For with words come in translations, and all the interminable questions therewith connected. 4. The mere fact that a thought or idea can be expressed articulately in words involves that it is still open to question, and the mere fact that a difficulty can be definitely conceived 
involves that it is open to solution. 5. We want words to do more than they can. We try to do with them what comes to very much like trying to mend a watch with a pickaxe or to paint a miniature with a mop. We expect them to help us to grip and dissect that which in ultimate essence is as ungrippable as shadow. Nevertheless, there they are. We have got to live with them, and the wise curse is to treat them as we do our neighbors, and make the best and not the worst of them. But they are parvenu people as compared with thought and action. What we should read is not the words, but the men whom we feel to be behind the words. 6. Words impede and either kill or are killed by perfect thought, but they are, as a scaffolding, useful, if not indispensable, for the building up of imperfect thought and helping to perfect it. 7. All words are juggles. To call a thing a juggle of words is often a bigger juggle than the juggle it is intended to complain of. The question is whether it is a greater juggle than is generally considered fair trading. 8. Words are like money. There is nothing so useless unless when in actual use. 9. Gold and silver coins are only the tokens, symbols, outward and visible signs and sacraments of money, when not in actual process of being applied in purchase, they are no more money than words not in use are language. Books are like imprisoned souls until someone takes them down from a shelf and reads them. The coins are potential money as the words are potential language. It is the power and will to apply the counters that make them vibrate with life. When the power and the will are in abeyance, the counters lie dead as a log. The law. The written law is binding, but the unwritten law is much more so. You may break the written law at a pinch, and on the sly if you can, but the unwritten law which often comprises the written, must not be broken. Not being written, it is not always easy to know what it is, but this has got to be done. Ideas. They are like shadows, substantial enough until we try to grasp them. Expression. The fact that every mental state is intensified by expression is of a piece with the fact that nothing has any existence at all save in its expression. Development All things are like exposed photographic plates that have no visible image on them till they have been developed. Acquired Characteristics If there is any truth in the theory that these are inherited, and who can doubt it? The eye and the finger are but the aspiration, 
or word made manifest in flesh physical and spiritual the bodies of many abandoned undertakings lie rotting and buried up and down the country and of ghosts haunt the law courts trail and writing before the invention of writing the range of one man's influence over another was limited to the range of sight sound and scent besides this there was trail of many kinds trail unintentionally left is as it were hidden sight left intentionally it is the unit of literature it is the first mode of writing from which grew that power of extending men's influence over one another by the help of written symbols of all kinds without which the development of modern civilization would have been impossible conveyancing and the arts in conveyancing the ultimately potent thing is not the deed but the invisible intention and desire of the parties to the deed the written document itself is only evidence of this intention and desire so it is with music the written notes are not the main thing nor is even the heard performance these are only evidences of an internal invisible emotion that can be felt but never fully expressed and so it is with the words of literature and with the forms and colors of painting the rules for making literature music and pictures the arts of the musician the painter and the writer are essentially the same in composing a fugue after you have exposed your subject which must not be too unwisely you introduce an episode or episodes which must arise out of your subject the great thing is that all shall be seen all shall be new and yet nothing new at the same time the details must minister to the main effect and not obscure it in other words you must have a subject develop it and not wander from it very far this holds just as true for literature and painting and for art of all kinds no man should try even to allude to the greater part of what he sees in his subject and there is hardly a limit to what he may omit what is required is that he shall say what he elects to say discreetly that he shall be quick to see the gist of a matter and give it pithily without either prolixity or stint of words relative importances it is the painter's business to help memory and imagination not to supersede them he cannot put the whole before the spectator nothing can do this short of the thing itself he should therefore not try to realize unless he looks as if he were trying to do so 
the more signs of judgment he will show. His business is to supply those details which will most readily bring the whole before the mind along with them. He must not give to few, but it is still more imperative on him not to give too many. Seeing, thought, and expression are rendered possible only by the fact that our minds are always ready to compromise and to take the part for the whole. We associate a number of ideas with any given object, and if a few of the most characteristic of these are put before us, we take the rest as read, jump to a conclusion, and realize the whole. If we did not conduct our thought on this principle, simplifying by suppression of detail and breadth of treatment, it would take us a twelve-month to say that it was a fine morning, and another for the hearer to apprehend our statement. Any other principle reduces thought to an absurdity. All painting depends upon simplification. All simplification depends upon the perception of relative importances. All perception of relative importances depends upon a just appreciation of which letters in association's bond association will most readily dispense with. This depends upon the sympathy of the painter, both with his subject and with him who is to look at the picture, and this depends upon a man's common sense. He therefore tells best in painting, as in literature, who has best estimated the relative values or importances of the more special features characterizing his subject that is to say who appreciates most accurately how much and how fast each one of them will carry and is at most pains to give those only that will say most in the fewest words or touches it is here that the most difficult the most important and the most generally neglected part of an artist's business will be found to lie the difficulties of doing are serious enough nevertheless we can most of us overcome them with ordinary perseverance for they are small as compared with those of knowing what not to do with those of learning to disregard the incessant importunity of small nobody details that persist in trying to thrust themselves above their betters it is less trouble to give in to these than to snub them duly and keep them in their proper places yet it is precisely here that strength or weakness resides it is success or failure in this respect that constitutes the difference between the artist who may claim to rank as a statesman and one who can rise no higher than a village vestryman it is here moreover that effort is most remunerative for when we feel that a painter has made simplicity and subordination of importances his first aim it is surprising how much shortcoming we will condone as regards actual execution whereas let the execution be perfect 
if the details given be ill-chosen in respect of relative importance the whole effect is lost it becomes top-heavy as it were and collapses as for the number of details given this does not matter a man may give as few or as many as he chooses he may stop at outline or he may go on to jean van eyck what is essential is that no matter how far or how small a distance he may go he should have begun with the most important point and added each subsequent feature in due order of importance so that if he stopped at any moment there should be no detail and given more important than another which has been insisted on supposing by way of illustration that the details are as grapes in a bunch they should be eaten from the best grape to the next best and so on downwards never eating a worse grape while a better one remains uneaten personally i think that as the painter cannot go the whole way the sooner he makes it clear that he has no intention of trying to do so the better when we look at a very highly finished picture so called unless we are in the hands of one who has attended successfully to the considerations insisted on above we feel as though we were with a troublesome cicerone who will not let us look at things with our own eyes but keeps intruding himself at every touch and turn and trying to exercise that undue influence upon us which generally proves to have been the accompaniment of concealment and fraud this is exactly what we feel with van Mieris, and though in a less degree with gerard dole whereas with jean van eyck and metsu no matter how far they may have gone we find them essentially as impressionist as rembrandt or velasquez for impressionism only means that due attention has been paid to the relative importances of the impressions made by the various characteristics of a given subject and that they have been presented to us in order of precedence eating grapes downwards always eat grapes downwards that is always eat the best grape first in this way there will be none better left on the bunch and each grape will seem good down to the last if you eat the other way you will not have a good grape in the lot besides you will be tempting providence to kill you before you come to the best this is why autumn seems better than spring in the autumn we are eating our days downwards in the spring each day still seems very bad people should live on this principle more than they do but they do live on it a good deal from the age of say fifty we eat our days downwards in new zealand for a long time i had to do the washing up after each meal i used to do the knives first for 
it might please God to take me before I came to the forks. And then, what a sell it would have been to have done the forks rather than the knives. Terseness. Talking with Goggin last night, I said that in writing it took more time and trouble to get a thing short than long. He said it was the same in painting. It was harder not to paint a detail than to paint it. Easier to put in all that one can see than to judge what may go without saying. Omit it and range the irreducible minima in due order of precedence. Hence we all lean towards prolixity. The difficulty lies in the nice appreciation of relative importances, and in the giving each detail neither more nor less than its due. This is the difference between Gerardo and Metsu. Gerardo gives all he can, but unreflectingly, hence it does not reflect the subject effectively into the spectator. We see it, but it does not come home to us. Matsu, on the other hand, omits all he can, but omits intelligently, and his reflection excites responsive enthusiasm in ourselves. We are continually trying to see as much as we can, and to put it down, more wisely we should consider how much we can avoid seeing and dispense with. So it is also in music. Carabini says the number of things that can be done in fugue with a very simple subject is endless, but that the trouble lies in knowing which to choose from all these infinite possibilities. As regards painting, anyone can paint anything in the minute manner with a little practice, but it takes an exceedingly able man to paint so much as a nag broadly and simply, bearing in mind the shortness of life and the complexity of affairs. It stands to reason that we owe most to him who packs our trunks for us, so to speak. Most intelligently, neither omitting what we are likely to want, nor including what we can dispense with, and who at the same time arranges things so that they will travel most safely and be got at most conveniently. So we speak of composition and arrangement in all arts. Making Notes My notes always grow longer if I shorten them. I mean the process of compression makes them more pregnant and they breed new notes. I never try to lengthen them, so I do not know whether they would grow shorter if I did. Perhaps that might be a good way of getting them shorter. Shortening. A young author is tempted to leave anything he has written through fear of not having enough to say if he goes cutting out too freely. But it is easier to be long than short. 
I have always found compressing, cutting out, and tersifying a passage suggests more than anything else does. Things pruned off in this way are like the heads of the hydra, to grow for every two that is lopped off. Omission If a writer will go on the principle of stopping, everywhere and anywhere, to put down his notes, as the true painter will stop anywhere and everywhere to sketch, he will be able to cut down his works liberally. He will become prodigal, not of writing, any fool can be this, but of omission. You become brief because you have more things to say than time to say them in. One of the chief arts is that of knowing what to neglect, and the more talk increases, the more necessary does this art become. Brevity Handel's chick in the ninth suite de pièce in J minor is very fine but is perhaps a little long. Probably Handel was in a hurry, for it takes much more time to get a thing short than to leave it a little long. Brevity is not only the soul of wit, but the soul of making oneself agreeable and of getting on with people and indeed of everything that makes life worth living. So precious a thing, however, cannot be got without more expense and trouble than most of us have the moral wealth to lay out. Diffuseness. This sometimes helps, as for instance when the subject is hard, words that may be, strictly speaking, unnecessary, still may make things easier. For the reader by giving him more time to master the thought while his eye is running over the verbiage so a little water may prevent a strong drink from burning throat and stomach a style that is too terse is as fatiguing as one that is too diffuse but when a passage is written a little long with consciousness and compunction, but still deliberately, as what will probably be most easy for the reader, it can hardly be called diffuse. Difficulties in art, literature, and music. The difficult and the unintelligible are only conceivable at all in virtue of their catching on to something less difficult and less unintelligible, and through this to things easily done and understood. It is at these joints in their armor that difficulties should be attacked. Never tackle a serious difficulty as long as something which must be done, and about which you see your way fairly well, remains undone. The settling of this is sure to throw light upon the way in which the serious difficulty is to be resolved. It is doing the what you can that will best help you to do the what you cannot. Arrears of small things to be attended to, if allowed to accumulate, worry and depress like unpaid debts. The main work should always stand aside for these, not these for the main work 
as large debts should stand aside for small ones or truths for common charity and good feeling if we attend continually and promptly to the little that we can do we shall ere long be surprised to find how little remains that we cannot do knowledge is power yes but it must be practical knowledge there is nothing less powerful the knowledge unattached and incapable of application that is why what little knowledge i have has done myself personally so much harm i do not know much but if i knew a good deal less than that little i should be far more powerful the rule should be never to learn a thing till one is pretty sure one wants it or that one we want it before long so badly as not to be able to get on without it this is what sensible people do about money and there is no reason why people should throw away their time and trouble more than their money there are plenty of things that most boys would give their ears to know these and these only are the proper things for them to sharpen their wits upon if a boy is idle and does not want to learn anything at all the same principle should guide those who have the care of him he should never be made to learn anything till it is pretty obvious that he cannot get on without it this will save trouble both to boys and teachers moreover it will be far more likely to increase a boy's desire to learn i know in my own case no earthly power could make me learn till i had my head given me and nothing has been able to stop me from incessant study from that day to this academicism handicapped people sometimes owe their success to the misfortune which waits them they seldom know beforehand how far they are going to reach and this helps them for if they knew the greatness of the task before them they would not attempt it he who knows he is infirm and would yet climb does not think of the summit which he believes to be beyond his reach but climbs slowly onwards taking very short steps looking below as often as he likes but not above him never trying his powers but seldom stopping and then sometimes behold he is on the top which he would never have ever aimed at could he have seen it from below it is only in novels and sensational biographies that handicapped people fired by a knowledge of the difficulties that others have overcome resolve to triumph over every obstacle by dint of sheer determination and in the end carry everything before them in real life the person who starts thus almost invariably fails this is the worst kind of start the greatest secret of good work whether in music literature or painting lies in not attempting too much if it be asked what is too much the answer is anything that we find difficult or unpleasant we should not ask 
whether others find this same thing difficult or no if we find the difficulty so great that the overcoming it is a labor and not a pleasure we should either change our aim altogether or aim at any rate for a time at some lower point it must be remembered that no work is required to be more than right as far as it goes the greatest work cannot get beyond this and the least comes strangely near the greatest if this can be said of it the more i see of academicism the more i distrust it if i had approached painting as i have approached book writing and music that is to say by beginning at once to do what i wanted or as near as i could to what i could find out of this and taking pains not by way of solving academic difficulties in order to provide against practical ones but by waiting till a difficulty arose in practice and then tackling it thus making the arising of each difficulty be the occasion for learning what had to be learned about it if i had approached painting in this way i should have been all right as it is i have been all wrong and it was south kensington and heatherley's that set me wrong i listened to the nonsense about how i ought to study before beginning to paint and about never painting without nature and the result was that i learned to study but not to paint now i have got too much to do and am too old to do what i might easily have done and should have done if i had found out earlier what writing life and habit was the chief thing to teach me so i painted study after study as a priest reads his breviary and at the end of ten years knew no more what the face of nature was like unless i had it immediately before me than i did at the beginning i am free to confess that in respect of painting i am a failure i have spent far more time on painting than i have on anything else and have failed at it more than i have failed in any other respect almost solely for the reasons given above i tried very hard but i tried the wrong way fortunately for me there are no academies for teaching people how to write books or i should have fallen into them as i did into those for painting and instead of writing should have spent my time and money in being told that i was learning how to write if i had one thing to say to students before i died i mean if i had got to die but might tell students one thing first i should say don't learn to do but learn in doing let your falls not be on a prepared ground but let them be bona fide falls in the rough and tumble of the world 
only of course let them be on a small scale in the first instance till you feel your feet safe under you act more and rehearse less a friend once asked me whether i like it writing books composing music or painting pictures best i said i did not know i like them all but i never find time to paint a picture now and only do small sketches and studies i know in which i am strongest writing i know in which i am weakest painting i am weakest where i have taken most pains and studied most agonizing in art never try to find out anything or try to learn anything until the not knowing it has come to be a nuisance to you for some time then you will remember it but not otherwise let knowledge important you before you will hear it our schools and universities go on the precisely opposite system never consciously agonize the race is not to the swift nor the battle to the strong moments of extreme issue are unconscious and must be left to take care of themselves during conscious moments take reasonable pains but no more and above all work so slowly as never to get out of breath take it easy in fact until forced not to do so there is no mystery about art do the things that you can see they will show you those that you cannot see by doing what you can you will gradually get to know what it is that you want to do and cannot do and so to be able to do it the choice of subjects do not hunt for subjects let them choose you not you them only do that which insists upon being done and runs right up against you hitting you in the eye until you do it this calls you and you had better attend to it and do it as well as you can but to call it in this way do nothing imaginary countries each man's mind is an unknown land to himself so that we need not be at such pains to frame a mechanism of adventure forgetting to undiscovered countries we have not far to go before we reach them they are like the kingdom of heaven within us my books i never make them they grow they come to me and insist on being written and on being such and such i did not want to write ere one i wanted to go on painting and found it an abominable nuisance being dragged with a nilly into writing it so with all my books the subjects were never of my own choosing they pressed themselves upon me with more force than i could resist if i had not liked the subjects i should have kicked it and nothing would have got me to do them at all as i did like the subjects 
and the books came and said they were to be written i grumbled a little and wrote them footnote cf the note reproduction page sixteen until end of footnote great works these have always something of the de profundis about them new ideas every new idea has something of the pain and peril of childbirth about it ideas are just as mortal and just as immortal as organized beings are books and children if the literary offspring is not to die young almost as much trouble must be taken with it as with the bringing up of a physical child still the physical child is the harder work of the two the life of books some writers think about the life of books as some savages think about the life of men that there are books which never die they all die sooner or later but that will not hinder an author from trying to give his book as long a life as he can get for it the fact that it will have to die is no valid reason for letting it die sooner than can be helped criticism critics generally come to be critics by reason not of their fitness for this but of their unfitness for anything else books should be tried by a judge and jury as though they were crimes and counsel should be heard on both sides le style c'est l'homme it is with books music painting and all the arts as with children only those live that have drained much of their author's own life into them the personality of the author is what interests us more than his work when we have once got well hold of the personality of the author we care comparatively little about the history of the work or what it means or even its technique we enjoy the work without thinking of more than its beauty and of how much we like the workman le style c'est l'homme that style of which if i may quote from memory buffon again says that it is like happiness and vient de la douceur de l'âme footnote evolution old and new page seventy seven end of footnote and we care more about knowing what kind of person a man was than about knowing of his achievements no matter how considerable they may have been if he has made it clear that he was trying to do what we like and meant what we should like him to have meant it is enough if the work does not attract us to the workman neither does it attract us to itself portraits a great portrait is always more a portrait of the painter than of the painted when we look at a portrait by holben or rembrandt it is of holben or rembrandt that we think more than of the subject of their picture even a portrait of shakespeare by holben or rembrandt could tell us very little about shakespeare it would however tell us a great deal about holben or rembrandt a man's style 
a man's style in my art should be like his dress it should attract as little attention as possible gauntlet of youth everything that is to age well must have run the gauntlet of its youth hardly ever does a work of art hold its own against time if it was not treated somewhat savagely at first i should say artist rather than work of art greatness in art if a work of art music literature or painting is for all time it must be independent of the conventions dialects costumes and fashions of any time if not great without help from such unessential accessories no help from them can greaten it a man must wear the dress of his own time but no dressing can make a strong man of a weak one literary power they say the test of this is whether a man can write an inscription i say can he name a kitten and by this test i am condemned for i cannot subject and treatment it is often said that treatment is more important than subject but no treatment can make a repulsive subject not repulsive it can make a trivial or even a stupid subject interesting but a really bad flaw in a subject cannot be treated out happily the man who has sense enough to treat a subject well will generally have sense enough to choose a good one so that the case of a really repulsive subject treated in a masterly manner does not often arise it is often said to have a reason but in nine cases out of ten the treatment will be found to have been overpraised. public opinion people say how strong it is and indeed it is strong while it is in its prime in its childhood and old age it is as weak as any other organism i try to make my own work belong to the youth of a public opinion the history of the world is the record of the weakness frailty and death of public opinion as geology is the record of the decay of those bodily organisms in which opinions have found material expression a literary man's test moliere's reading to his housemaid has i think been misunderstood as though he in some way wanted to see the effect upon the housemaid and make her a judge of his work if she was an unusually clever smart girl this might be well enough but the supposition commonly is that she was a typical housemaid and nothing more if moliere ever did read to her it was because the mere act of reading aloud put his work before him in a new light and by constraining his attention to every line made him judge it more rigorously i always intend to read and generally do read what i write aloud to someone anyone almost will do but he should not be so clever 
that I am afraid of him. I feel weak places at once when I read aloud where I thought. As long as I read to myself only that the passage was all right. What audiences to write for? People between the ages of twenty and thirty read a good deal. After thirty, the reading drops off and by forty is confined to each person's special subject, newspapers and magazines, so that the most important part of one's audience, and that which should be mainly written for, consists of specialists and people between twenty and thirty. Writing for a hundred years hence when a man is in doubt about this or that in his writing it will often guide him if he asks himself how it will tell a hundred years hence end of section nine